Hi everyone, welcome to the Farm Commons podcast, where we explore timely and important legal issues and questions facing the farming community today. For community-based farms with a focus on sustainability, managing legal risks is especially important as many innovative farm enterprises like community-supported agriculture programs, on-farm suppers, and gardening classes, and unique arrangements for land access and employment do not fit neatly into our legal system, leading to vulnerability. But through legal education, we can cultivate greater resilience for your farm business so that you can continue to grow in ways that best support you, your relationships, and your community. At Farm Commons, we'll show you why and how. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Farm Commons podcast. My name is Eva. I'm an educator with Farm Commons, and I'll be your host for the show. Today, we're really excited to be kicking off a Back to Legal Basics series. We know all you farmers and ranchers out there are busy in the fields, at market, at the processors, and so um, we want to cut out the fluff and get get down to the brass tacks about important legal practices um, that are good to cultivate at any time of year. So our intention for this series is to provide an opportunity for you, farmers and ranchers, to take a look at the foundations of your business and to double check how things are looking. If we can imagine the farm business as a home full of life and activity, we want to make sure that the foundation of the home is solid enough to keep containing all of that good life and activity. And so the same thing goes for farm businesses. We want to make sure that the, that the space we're operating within is healthy and strong, and so we want to take a good look at who's involved, how are things being managed, and see if current actions are in line with our long-term goals as well as our short-term intentions. So when you make the time to check out your legal foundation, you can then be better prepared to incorporate changes like adding insurance coverage, updating governance documents, changing your business structure, or amending a lease agreement so that you can achieve your farm goals. So today I'm here with our director, Rachel, and we will be discussing farming with family, getting in and getting out. Hey, Rachel, how's it going? Hello, great to be on the podcast again. Yeah, it's good to be here with you and um, yeah, digging back into into some basics. And I don't think anything gets more fundamental than family <laughs> and then also farms, the source of our food. Um, so maybe we'll, we'll kick off here with some personal stories about uh, the overlap of personal family life and business life. And Rachel, I know you've had some experience with that in uh, non-farming uh, context, but that experience is very important to Farm Commons. Exactly. Yes. So Farm Commons is eight years old. Um, and, uh, you know, five years ago, I had my first child. And then less than two years after that, I had two more children, twins. Uh, and so I had on my hands, you know, full-time job, um, you know, Farm Commons, and I had three children under three years old. So it's kind of um, an urgent situation. Uh, and my mother was gracious and incredible enough to quit her job, move in with my family and uh, become our nanny, basically. So this was a 
big crash course in uh, working with family for uh, for me and my family. You know, we had to work with her on okay, what are what are the hours for this position? What are we paying you? What are the responsibilities, the duties? And we saw the most glorious and joy-filled sides of working with family, and we also saw the difficult struggles um, and the you know, the deeply human side of working with family as well. It's, it's not, uh, it's not just business. So it's a, it was a, it was a very much a learning experience and a good one we all grew from. How about yourself and, uh, and working with family? Oh yeah. That the learning experience and growing from that resonates with me a bunch, um, for, for previous listeners who are returning, you may have heard in other episodes that I used to farm full time. Um, And for you new listeners, that is what I used to do. And I did it with my former spouse. And we, we had a really hard time um, setting healthy boundaries between work life and family life when we you know, both lived on the farm, our house was on the farm, Um, everything needed doing all the time. And it was real. It was so hard to um, cultivate a healthy farm business and a healthy family at the same time because when something didn't go right on the farm, that would inevitably sneak into family life. And when something um, came up in family life, that inevitably snuck into a day's work on the farm. And so um, there's there's a lot that can really be wrapped up into farming with a family member that you know we we took for granted that we were family farming together you know like oh my spouse and I we don't need to you know think through all of the potential things that will go wrong because we have each other's back you know we're gonna um, create an LLC and be equal member owners we're not even gonna talk about what that means (laughs) or you know who's contributing what and when and how are we accounting for it you know we did we did what we thought were best practices pretty blindly and I think we did that mostly blindly because we were so um we were driven by, I think, you know, honorable, I honorable idealistic intentions that we were always going to be together and we would always be farming. But it's almost like that um, blind idealism led to us not being together and no longer farming. And so it can be really, really hard and also really important to talk about the nitty gritty business details, especially with your loved ones, because there's not just the the business relationship, but there's also the family relationship. And like you said, totally a growth experience with a whole lot of learning woven in. Exactly, exactly. And there's so many values at play, you know, having children, you know, in my case, is an expression of values. Having a farm is an expression of values. Working together with our family is an expression of those values. And so it can be really painful when things don't go right. So part of what Farm Commons is here to do is help folks think about ways that they can get ahead of those problems, ways that we can support good conversations and good action steps that help create resilience. When we can do that, when we can foster that kind of resilience, we're not just supporting a farm as an economic and business unit, we're supporting a farm as um, a family unit and as an expression of those values too. So the work becomes that much more valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, The work to preserve those values of the family unit and the farm business. And when farming with family, it's important to think about all of that in getting in to the farm business, 
staying in, and then also um, keeping those values in mind if and when someone decides to get out of the farm business. And so that's what we're, we're about to get into is um, really a process of taking an inventory of what to consider, legally speaking, when farming with family so that you listeners out there can work through these key considerations um, in your mind or on a sheet of paper and check through the aspects of your of your family business foundation that are strong and good and those that need tuning up or maybe even replacing. And so when farming with family, whether family means relatives or spouses or both, there are three key legal topics that you will want to discuss together. Um, and to be clear, there's, there's you know, many legal topics out there, but there are three key ones that we've identified that are um, important basics to return to, to again, make sure that your foundation is strong. And if it's not, that we can make it so. So these, these three key legal topics will set the stage for how one gets into business and also um, help provide context for how one will get out. And those three are decision-making, roles and responsibilities, and ownership and employment. And so right off the top of the list, decision-making. So Decision-making, of course, is a key function of the farm business, and those decisions span from more immediate ones, like about what to grow and where to sell, um, to longer impact decisions like taking out loans, purchasing new equipment, and also bringing on new business partners, um, whether they're family members or not. You know, you might be bringing in non-family non folks into a family farm business and also deciding how to let existing partners go. Um, both like literally letting them go, they've decided to leave, and then also the process for, for how their departure is handled. So these, these longer impact decisions are ones that all business partners should discuss and make a plan for. And so, yeah, okay, make a plan. You know, you have your crop plan, your business plan, here's another plan that you need to make. Well, to get us started, we'll, we'll move into a, ref a reflection here that will hopefully help um, help you visualize what this plan might be, how it might look, and, and whether it's feasible for you um, where you are in your, in your farm family life right now. So consider how are big decisions made for your farm? And by whom are those decisions being made? So in the context of getting in and getting out, Think about, you know, how are you deciding when and how to bring someone into the farm, farm business, like a child or a sibling or a new spouse? So is a vote taken when we're considering bringing someone in? Um, if so, how is a vote called? Is there a meeting that needs to happen first? And also when it comes time to actually voting, does each family member's vote have equal weight or not? And how about deciding to leave the farm business? When does notice need to be given by? And how does that notice need to be given and to whom? Um, is there a process for deciding what to do with the departing family's members' interest in the business? Or maybe that plan is already laid out. Maybe that's that someone's already departed the, the farm business before and also entered and, and your family farm business has a plan in place. So you might already have those documents or or processes at the ready. 
So hopefully that, that these prompts have helped to um, bring to mind uh, questions you'd like to explore for decision-making for your farm business. Um, and also maybe even reiterate or bring to light what you've already been thinking about and discussing and already have in place. So Rachel, for folks who are interested in moving forward with getting a concrete vision of decision-making down, um, what would you say are, are the key action steps um, for moving forward here? Right, right. So that was a great list, Eva. How are big decisions made? When, when are we taking on debt? And not just in a budgetary and a budgetary process. Sure, you know the budget lays that out, but who sets the budget? Who drafts it? Is it approved? Are changes to that budget accepted by a certain process, or do we just willy-nilly, you know, spend away from the budget? We've got to figure this stuff out. So, dear listener, as you're listening to Eva's questions and as you're listening to ours, you might be thinking, uh, okay, um, so Eva and Rachel, when do you tell us the answers? Uh, when do we get to that point? And I got to tell you, the answers are in one place and they're in your head. You, and only you know the answers to these questions. So when Eva is asking you these things and asking you to reflect on that, that's really and truly what she's doing. She's saying, what do you want? for you want for farm decision-making in your family. You might be thinking, uh-uh, this is a farm law podcast. You're supposed to tell us what the law says and you're supposed to tell us to go to an attorney. Well, um, you are the first source of authority for what is best for yourself. So when, um, when, when these questions come up, really the best action step that an individual can make for themselves is to start writing down answers. Now, of course, at Farm Commons website, we have a lot of detailed questions, um, and we, we do have some models. You know, models help us think of possible answers to it, but that's really all there are. They're sample answers that a person might come up with to answer these questions. But you, listener, know in your own head what is going to be right for you. The process of getting started in defining these things is simply to write it down. And you can do that in whatever way works best for you. There's nothing wrong with pen and paper. There's nothing wrong with a laptop. There's also nothing wrong with a voice memo. Many of us are used to uh, using our laptops or our cell phones um, in all areas of our life. Uh, we can start to, to use them in creative ways to help make these things happen. You don't have to start by sitting down and sketching out. Whereas heretofore, the parties below affirm that you don't have to do that. Start with an actual plain language decision-making process that you would want to follow for you and those who are in your family together. Now, once you get that, once you get some answers down on paper, what you're headed towards here is a little something called the governance document. And that's where our legal terms start to get tied in here. Who makes big decisions? How you get in and how you get out of a business? Well, those sorts of big things are embodied in the thing called the governance document. Now, more specifically, when you have a LLC, it's called an operating agreement. When you have a corporation, it's called bylaws. But that's what they do. They, they organize the basics of decision-making within that unit. Now, writing out that governance document is a fabulous first step towards uh, making sure that that farm business has a plan for moving forward that it has a way to work around uh, big problems and big decisions that come up. But of course, it's only as good as its authenticity. 
it, it's only as good as it is the actual manifestation of the agreement of those involved. So I don't want to pass it off as easy. It's not easy. It can be hard to have these conversations, but very important. So I think those are really our first action steps. Um, it's quite easy. Just start sketching out what you and your family members feel is a good decision-making process or for the big stuff, like going into debt, selling assets, entering the business, and leaving the business. But that's not all, Eva. There's, there's more. <laughs> We've got our day-to-day. -day. Can you help us transition to some of the more day-to-day uh, -day decisions and um, roles and responsibilities that our farm families are going to have to take on together? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I loved what you said that um, the governance document is only as good as its authenticity. And I think that holds true for roles and responsibilities as well, because we want to make sure we have clear roles and that the responsibilities assigned to each of those roles are a good fit and vice versa. So it might be helpful for you listeners to think about roles and responsibilities in a different but related context. Um, so think about when planning a big family meal, maybe of, you know, farm grown produce and farm raised meats, it's really helpful to know who is cooking, um, who's cooking what dish so that every element is attended to and everyone can have uh, a working clear vision of what the final table is supposed to look like so that eventually we can all sit down together and actually enjoy the meal rather than stressing about who forgot the bread in the oven, who didn't do what, where are the forks, why are the glasses dirty. So the same thing goes for the farm business. Assigning clear roles and associated responsibilities at a high level will paint a clear picture of who is supposed to be doing what so that taxes, governmental obligations, and paperwork requirements don't fall through the cracks. And this, this really matters, especially in family businesses where assumptions that matters will be taken care of, like in my personal experience, um, can actually end up hurting both the farm business and the feelings of family members involved. And so that's why it's so helpful and important to identify, you know, what responsibilities are there within our farm business and, um, you know, which roles can we as the family members involved in the farm business step into and um, take responsibility of to make sure that they don't fall through the cracks. So um, if you got a pen and paper or your laptop with you, or even like Rachel was saying, a voice memo, or even just in your head, um, let's, let's take inventory of the roles that are necessary to operate the farm business. So for you, it might be a production manager, marketing and outreach, distribution, budgeting and accounting, et cetera. Uh, you know, just as with um, decision-making processes, you actually are the best person to let others know what roles and responsibilities need to be filled for your unique operation. So once you take inventory of the roles that are necessary to operate your business, next identify the key responsibilities that have to be met each quarter or year or whatever interval that you're your business is managed on, um, such as taxes or even organic certification audits, um, LLC filings, whether they're annual or biannual. You should probably know that if you have an LLC. 
and also make a checklist of those responsibilities. And then which role will be taking care of each one of those responsibilities. And then you can even go so far as to identify which family member is already operating within each of those roles or not and see who's already doing um, what, you know, if, if Aunt Sue is already taking care of the books and you know your sister Sally is doing the field work um, and is also very well acquainted with the Secretary of State's website and is helping with the LLC filings. Um, knowing who's already doing what can open up a conversation for celebrating their strengths. And then also, if you're noticing some gaps, it can open up a conversation for making a change. And so this exercise is, is it can be helpful for boosting morale um, if you want it to, and also for, again, strengthening that, that foundation of your family farm business. So hopefully you've been able to reflect on, on what those roles and responsibilities are that keep your business running day to day. And um, I am sure Rachel's got some action steps for us <laughs> to help you move forward, legally speaking. Eva, I love the focus on how we can use this exercise to be the bearer of good news, because oftentimes the person who's taking on this role of risk management or trying to organize things around the farm um, can can be seen like, you know, a bit of a taskmaster, like, oh, here you go, trying to create work for all of us when we're just, we're just trying to grow some good stuff. And it can, it can be a burden to take on that role. But I love what you're saying about how it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a burden. We can turn this process into something that really is celebratory too, not just mechanical. But that being said, I am here to discuss some of the mechanics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring <laughs> so, it, bring it. We're ready. Exactly. So you've outlined some great questions to ask and some good points to reflect on so that we can get a good start in discovering what roles and responsibilities do we need to, to uh, discuss. But once we do that, memorialization, writing it down, that's always a really good thing. Writing things down is what helps us to remember them, which helps us to review and organize our thoughts going forward. So when it comes to roles and responsibilities on the farm, there's a few different places that these tasks might get memorialized in a legal sense. So we already talked about uh, forming LLCs and corporations. Specifically with the corporation, most state laws are going to require that we appoint three officer positions, usually. You know, some only have two, some have four, but generally you're going to see three different officer positions, treasurer, president, and secretary. And a person is supposed to be uh, elected, appointed to fill those roles. This seems very formulaic, like, oh my God, who, need, who wants to be the president now? But there's a legal function. To it. The president is supposed to take on the role of setting meeting agendas and deciding what's going to be talked about. That's a really valuable role, making sure that issues come to the fore for people to, to talk about. The treasurer is supposed to, and again, these things can change, um, is supposed to be in charge of preparation of financial reports, making sure that the books are in a place to properly um, file one's taxes. Again, extremely valuable role uh, for making sure that we are square with our obligations to the IRS and others. And then you have the secretary. The secretary is responsible for maintaining minutes and doing various administrative duties as may be assigned. 
Minutes, of course, help us remember what we talked about in a meeting and what decisions were made. So often these officer roles get sidelined as, as just, you know, that's just boilerplate, that's just legal talk, but they can be an opportunity to think about these, these roles and responsibilities and make sure that they're carried out. Now, that being said, they're not the end of the line. A farm is going to have to have, well, you know, have to have, but it's really nice if a farm has a budget each year. You know, it's, it helps us understand where we're going. It's nice if they have a marketing plan and probably a crop or production plan. You know, what are we, what are we producing? Who are we selling it to? And how much money do we think we're going to pull in? Those are three golden opportunities to create three policies. Your budget policy, your marketing policy, and your crop or production policy. And those policies just sketch out, hey, each year, you know, in January, we're going to sit down and look at our crop plan. So-and-so is going to propose a plan, and then we're going to discuss it, and we're going to approve it, and here's how it'll be amended. Same with the budget. Someone's going to propose it, we're going to talk about it, agree upon it, and maybe over time we'll amend it throughout that year. It's just so helpful to have that stated, who's in charge of doing these things. Now, stuff like policies are usually they're not written into the governance document. Like they're not part of the operating agreement, but they are often referred to in the operating agreement. Like the operating agreement will say, you know, um, our goal every year is to prepare um, these three policies and our goal is to do so by XYZ time. So it's not like, you know, the, the farm doesn't dissolve if it doesn't happen, but it's a goal that we all strive towards. The third place I want to talk about memorializing roles and responsibilities is in job descriptions. Now, this is the least legal thing I have to say for this section because usually we're talking about a job description that is completely informal and non-legal. It's like, you know, hey, you're in charge of the CSA and I'm in charge of the wholesale accounts. Job description. Ideally, though, we go a little bit farther and describe exactly where is the line between those two accounts. What about the stuff that's not specific to either of those. So there's a lot of good opportunity to go a little bit deeper. Sometimes though, we are talking about actual employment and a legitimate job description with a wage. And so there I wanna pass it back to you, Eva, because the next thing I know that is on our agenda to talk about today is that interplay between ownership and employment, which is such an important issue when we're talking about family and how we're working together. Yeah, for sure, Rachel. And um, for ownership, I, ju I do wanna underscore exclamation point star asterisk highlight <laughs> what you said about the ownership roles. So you gave the example of a corporation and um, usually needing to elect a president, a treasurer, and a secretary. Um, I am guilty of being one of those people who like totally glazes over when I hear those terms like, oh, president, oh, the treasurer, oh, the secretary. Um, fun fact, I was in a sorority in college and <laughs> I had served as secretary for a term. Um, and so I, I know the fatigue that can be associated with those terms, but when you described each one, like the president usually sets the agendas for what's discussed in the meetings. The treasurer keeps track of the budget and signs off on tax documents. The secretary keeps the minutes and helps us remember what we talked about and what we agreed to. Um, so the actual doings of those roles are so important to the, to the running of the business. And, you know, 
layer that on with family members taking this on um, to run the business that generates the livelihood for the family. Um, you've got some really important roles there, an opportunity to really bolster um, each family's contribution to the farm business um, in a way that will support that baseline legal resilience so that there's not just one task ma master, <laughs> the risk manager calling to attention the need to do these things. Um, but if we can think about it as the risk manager, maybe that's you listener, calling to your attention to your family members, the need to think about roles and responsibilities, you're providing an invitation to really step up into um, creativity, greater creativity for the for the future of the farm business. And not to say that, you know, your family members aren't stepping up to the game, but um, stepping into a new layer of growth for the farm business that is different than field work, raising the animals, marketing, um, bookkeeping. Uh, it's it's legal resilience and it is totally what we nerd out on here at Farm Commons. So, but if you're not an owner, <laughs> we got to figure out who you are. And so Rachel um, called to attention that other realm of work on the farm, even as a family member, and that is employment. And so to get down to the brass tacks, the law wants to put workers into a box, a classification box to figure out how to track their taxes, accountability for bad things that potentially happen, um, regardless of whether they're family members or not. So for the purposes of family members, it's especially important to identify which legal quote unquote box you and your family members fit into. And our options are owner, like we just discussed, employee, and independent contractor. There are also alternative classifications of volunteers and interns um, that you might be using for your family members, and we can get to that. Um, but you might be wondering right now, why does this matter? We're farming together, we're growing and raising the product, we're selling it, we're making money, you know, we've gotten by year to year, we've been in business for five plus years, maybe 10 plus, maybe 15. Why does this really matter? Well, it's because the law wants to prevent exploitation. Whoa, threw out a big taboo word. Um, we're not saying you're exploiting your family members, but rather, you know, we're very glad if you've gone through five, 10, 15 years without issue, but you never know what might happen. And so if we're doing our best legal risk management, we're gonna take a moment to pause and consider if and when a family member gets injured and or decides to leave the farm business, the law will want to know how to treat responsibility for taking care of their injuries as well as valuing their stake in the farm business. So if you don't decide for yourselves, you will quickly have to learn how the law is deciding for you based on multi-factor tests that could be a whole other podcast episode. And so that's not to say that, you know, what you decide will be what the law agrees with, but rather the law has a system for classifying workers on the farm. And it's very important to be aware of that when you have people working on your farm, especially if they're family members. So in terms of reflecting on how we can move forward here, you can jot down all the family members involved in the farm business on a piece of paper, or just think about them in your mind if you're listening while on the go. And think of involvement as anything that is the work of your for-profit business. 
And so that can include marketing, distribution, production, harvesting, packing, record keeping, um, inventory, packing. I think I already said packing. <laughs> so you might be the one taking care of field work and deliveries, for example, and your spouse takes care of record keeping and outreach. Um, you might be also the family member taking care of wholesale accounts and educational events, while other family members, maybe your kids or siblings, are taking care of livestock and processing. So if the work is part of the business, and so how you all earn money, those workers, including you, are part of the business. And so now consider which box you and your family members fit into. And we've got three options here, three main ones owner, employee, or independent contractor. And each of these categories comes with their own set of paperwork and tax responsibilities to establish a solid record supporting not only the classification of that family member, but also tracks the value and nature of their work, which is helpful knowledge anyway for running the farm business. Um, but that, that paperwork and tax responsibilities can translate into, if you're an owner, um, filing your um, profit or loss portion on your taxes each year. If you're an employee, you've got the W-9 and an independent contractor, a 1099 tax form. Um, and those are just the tax forms. There's also associated paperwork to show that a family member is an owner, to show that a family member is an employee, or to show that a family member is an independent contractor. And so again, it, it, it a bit overlaps here with roles and responsibilities for having a uh, mostly clear vision of, of who is doing what and how the law sees who is doing what. <laughs> so in moving forward, um, there are some action steps here. And employment law is one of the hot topics at Farm Commons and one that we've done extensive research on, but I know Rachel's gonna do her best to distill it down to just what you need to know. Absolutely. Uh, great, um, great reflection points, Eva. Again, um, think about what's getting done on the farm. Who's doing it? But sometimes answers don't necessarily fall into place very neatly. Um, I absolutely receive phone calls from farmers who say, well, look, I'm, I'm sitting down to write an operating agreement, but I'm not sure who the owners of this business are. You know, I mean, there's me and then there's my brother who helps me out. Is he an owner? Or this conversation comes up when, um, you know, the farm uh, business person, um, you, you know, they need a website. And so they go to their sister and say, you know, you're really skilled with websites. Can you, can you do this for me? Um, and hey, let's talk about compensation. Let's talk about what I can give you in return. And the conversation in these situations can get really squishy. We don't quite know what we're talking about. Are we inviting that person into ownership? Are we asking them to be an employee and we'll give them a W-2? Or is this a, well, I'm going to give you $3,000 to create a website? Like, what, what is this? So we need to reflect on who is doing the work and what that box is that they fit in. But sometimes we're not going to come up with a clear answer. The next step is more reflection. What do you want? Where, what box do you want to put them in? And this is a really important one for people to think about. I, I absolutely see, you know, well-meaning people who sort of jump into the, oh, well, um, ownership, 
you know, uh, you know, especially if we're talking about a significant other here, you know, well, he's my boyfriend, he's going to be an owner, you know, Uh, and that's, I think that happens because when we think about farm families, we think about ownership and we think about that close knit relationship that is a mix of family and a mix of law. And it is, it is everyone in, you know, everyone is all in. That does not have to be the first answer. And it may be that, look, for the sake of mine and my sister's relationship, the best plan here is an independent contractor. We got a little, you know, I'm going to give you $3,000. You're going to give me a website. Um, And I know it's going to be hard for me to come up with that $3,000, but, you know, maybe half of it will be in bacon and, you know, a lot of kohlrabi on the top. Um, You know, we we can come up with alternative ways to pay for it, but we go in knowing this is you're a contractor of mine and we're going to perform this one thing and I'm going to give you this thing. It is neat. It's clean. It's understood. And we're not getting, we're not getting squishy and gray areas here. An employment relationship may certainly be a possibility. And I know it's weird if I'm going to go to my spouse or my significant other and say, Hey, do you want to, you want to, I'll be your boss. You can be my employee. Like kind of awkward, but that just might be the best approach. You know, that, well, honestly, that lets the person quit. And it lets the person quit with a clear pathway and less disruption. It's just, hey, don't pay me anymore and I won't do the work anymore and we'll all be fine, right? There's not the messiness of, of the separation of ownership and, you know, taxable events and, you know, the books and all of that sort of thing. So, you know, I know it's not a majority of folks that are going to jump to this ownership answer, but if you're that type of person, don't do it. <laughs> Think clearly about which of these boxes are the best. And then, of course, take the advice of your, you know, legal education pals here. Write it down and document it. If they're an owner, they got to be written into your ownership documents, and you need to know what is their percentage of ownership. And that means, what did they give you to get into the business? They're giving you labor? Okay, there's a tax aspect to that. They're giving you assets? Let's document that. So we need to we need to back this up with the right kind of documentation. You know how it is when you hire an employee, you just fill out the employment paperwork. And if you've got an independent contractor, a nice neat little independent contractor agreement will help protect the both of you if the IRS um, or any other you know, government agency starts starts looking around to see what you're doing. So this um this is also a really important um, area to think about. Uh, not every relationship is right for um, for ownership, and we have these other options to make our relationships clean, neat, easy, easy in, easy out, and that's what we're hoping for from our conversation today. Yep, easy in, easy out, and you know it's we've been chatting for about thirty minutes here, and I think you all have done a great job, you listeners, um, walking through that list of key legal considerations with Rachel and I for farming with family. And so now let's turn to a more specific example um, of a reality that I have faced that many farmers I know have faced, farming couples who had assumed ownership was the only route. You know, Rachel, as you were talking, I was like, dang, I totally could have employed this person. (laughs) You know, the farm was my main gig. It wasn't theirs. They totally could have been on the books. Um, And I actually know a friend of mine who has a gallery and their 
partner is an independent contractor to their gallery, their art gallery. And my partner now has many a time been like, oh, would you help me out with this thing for my business? If you're really into it, um, I'm happy to contract you. And so actually they were the ones who introduced me to that concept because there is like something out there in the air, the ethers that makes me assume, just as you said, Rachel, that we assume family members should be owners. And I think it's like an innate thing in our biology. It's like we share with our family, you know, we share equally, you know, if, if, if I'm going to eat, you're going to eat too, because we're going to take care of each other. Um, but, you know, bad things do happen and good legal risk management is when we imagine the worst happening. And so what happens when a married couple farming together breaks up, legally speaking? Well, you know, what if what if that married couple listened to this podcast episode and they were like, gosh darn it, I'm going to write that governance document. This will be the thing that helps us prevent issues if and when we break up. Is that the case, Rachel? Yeah. I, I mean, this is there's, there's a bit of an elephant in the room here. Very often we're talking in the case of marriage. And um, what we haven't said yet is that little phrase, prenuptial agreement. We Maybe people have been thinking about that. Like really what can an operating agreement do? How about a job description or ownership? What does that do in the event of divorce? And was there a role here for what we have called the prenuptial agreement? There is a role for that. And I want to explain exactly what that is and a lot of what that role is not. So nowadays we tend to call prenups marital property agreements because that is specifically what they are. They are agreements set out between the parties to a marriage before the marriage as to property. Who owns what going into the marriage? And defining that can help shape who gets what if the marriage comes to an end. So this comes up in farm families a lot because one person may be bringing to the table of marriage family land, significant acreage. And there can be some anxiety, sometimes on the part of the person getting married, but very often on the part of their family. There can be some anxiety that this uh, soon-to-be spouse Uh, may be in line to receive um, some of that asset and that that can be uncomfortable. It can be an uncomfortable discussion of what is going to happen if this marriage breaks up and how does the family control, and I'm holding up in finger quotes, control who gets that asset, who gets in this business, and who gets out or kicked out uh, when bad things happen. So it's a great, um, it's, it's a good issue to discuss. And what I want to be clear is that marital property agreements are between the, the two parties to the marriage, um, the two spouses. It is an agreement between them about what is personal property and what is marital property. And personal property is something that we could bring to the marriage that we have a better chance of walking away with if the marriage ends. It's not 100% secure. The the judge's interest in the event of divorce is making sure that um, justice is served and um, assets are divided fairly. But the the judge would look at a marital property agreement and say, hmm, okay, you know, I see what you agreed to beforehand. That seems fair. And maybe then would incorporate that into um, the final agreement of the parties. But it's also possible that a judge would look at that uh, premarital 
um, agreement, that property agreement, and say, well, this was terribly, terribly unfair. You know, this is not, the, it, it would be a disservice to justice to carry out this agreement. And so I will not do it. So I'm, I'm dancing around the issue because I'm saying, look, I want, I want folks to know that marital property agreements exist and that they are used to influence um, how we get out of marriage, but they are certainly not um, a silver bullet. Um, it's not the solution in advance of all of this other stuff that we have talked about. The court is still going to go for fairness. And fundamentally, a marital property agreement needs to be um, the decision of the two people getting married, not their extended family. The extended family does have other resources, and certainly where that extended family is a part of the, the business, um, a part of the partnership or the LLC, we're going to have our governance document. And that's going to affect, you know, responsibilities and, um, and you know, all the issues, debt, um, you know, departing members, all that good stuff. So um, we have those other, those other factors. The other thing that extended family holds, particularly um, the older generation, is they have their will. You know, they can uh, bequeath uh, their assets um, that are their own and that are not the farm business assets co-owned by other owners. They can bequeath their assets to specific family members um, as they wish. So that is another mechanism that um, families can control um, who gets what uh, when individuals die. So um, we don't have a big action point for folks on this. Um, the discussion of a marital property agreement is a little bit of, a, of, a, of an addendum because we thought it might be lurking around in people's mind and something that they should be aware of about what role it plays. So hopefully that, uh, that illuminates a little bit of what happens in the event of divorce. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Rachel. It's not either or for a governance document or marital property agreement. It's both and. And um, yeah, I'm not going to say too much about that because we're on the verge of another podcast episode on marital property agreements for couples farming together. Um, but we do have something in the works on an episode of farming with loved ones and managing stress with paperwork. So keep an eye out for that coming up here soon in this um Back to Legal Basics series that we are going to be running this summer on the podcast. So great way to tie back in um, writing a governance document, Rachel, and the utility across different family mothers, whether married or, um, you know, parents to children and um, or, you know, passing assets on between generations because um, there's the will for that. And of course, the management of the farm business is what needs to go on on its own in its own self. And so all those um, other considerations are layers to add to this, this paperwork party. And so moving forward, reviewing action steps here are to um, write a governance document. And the good news is you already actually have a head start by working through the reflections that we've shared in this episode. Um, and feel free to press rewind or replay to walk back through. Maybe you want to listen to it again with your family member, you know, um, have a coffee date on, on the farm or off the farm even and have a listen or go for a long drive and have um, one partner with a notebook and a pen out while you, while you listen to the reflections and jot down your answers um, and you will have a jump start on writing that governance document. And also um, action step number two 
consider creating policy documents that you update as needed and that you refer to in your governance document. And finally, action step three, take a step back and get on the same page about vision and goals. And this is easier said than done um, because getting on the same page usually requires at least one courageous conversation. So um, make a plan, have a meeting, schedule a time, outline an agenda, and assign a note taker to keep track of what was shared and what was agreed upon, which, uh, you know, kind of sounds a lot like that secretary role we were talking about earlier. So everything is, is connected and um, uh, to support you in further learning. And if you would like examples of governance documents that are annotated, you can find them in our guide, uh, the Farmer's Guide to Business Structures, which is available to members on our website, farmcommons.org. So thanks everyone for tuning in and for doing the good work. And thanks Rachel for um, weighing in on the action steps and um, helping us give some legal fuel to the farmers as they move forward towards legal resilience. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Farm Commons podcast. For more information on what you just heard, as well as a variety of farm law guides, models, checklists, flowcharts, and more, visit our website at farmcommons.org. You can also email us at info at farmcommons.org if you have any questions or comments about this podcast or any of our online materials. Thanks everyone for listening and keep on growing.